Hey, it's Andy. Happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. This is a new opening to the show that I am recording on Wednesday night because we, we tried to record a little bit early so that everybody could have uh, time to get ready for the Thanksgiving holiday. And this is just not the year to do that. Every time you try to record early, it winds up turning out like the Saturday Night Live skit where Tom Brokaw is trying to go on vacation and recording all the various ways that that Gerald Ford might perish, uh, including a pack of wolves. Uh, but that's just how this this season has gone. So tons of news on Wednesday. Uh, you will hear Ari Wasserman and I talking about a lot of games, and some news has affected some of those games. First and foremost, Nick Saban has tested positive for COVID-19. This time, it's not a false positive. He was exhibiting some mild symptoms. He's isolated. Doesn't seem like Alabama has a problem among the players or the rest of the coaches. So the Iron Bowl is still on, but Nick Saban will not be coaching in it. Steve Sarkeesian will be leading Alabama. Now, what makes this interesting, and the reason we left the entire conversation between me and Ari in about the Iron Bowl, is the spread didn't change. Nick Saban is out for the game, the potentially greatest coach in the history of college football, out for this game. The spread remains Alabama minus 24 and a half, which as you'll hear, I think is really high given what we've seen from Auburn of late. Auburn has improved quite a bit since they lost to South Carolina. They destroyed LSU. Uh, They beat Tennessee. They look like an improved team. They do not look like a team that's going to go get shelled by four scores, even against potentially the best team in the country. So I think that game's really interesting. A lot more fascinating subplots now because Nick Saban won't be there. Steve Sarkeesian, this is a chance for him to show, hey, I've recovered from everything that, that caused me to get fired at USC. Remember, all of it was due to stuff that had to do with his alcoholism. And so he's healthier now. Uh, he's been trying to prove that he can be a head coach at the at the major Power 5 level again. I think he can. I think everybody loves his offense. And now he's going to get a chance to lead the team. And I remember talking to Nick Saban about this when he had the false positive and he thought – that Sarkeesian might have to coach against Georgia, he said philosophically they're they're pretty similar in terms of going forward on fourth down, in terms of being aggressive or not aggressive. And so he doesn't think that there's going to be that big of a difference in terms of big-picture decision-making by Steve Sarkeesian. The other, the other piece of it is when Sarkeesian was the head coach at Washington and USC, he called plays. So he will continue to call plays. They don't really have to change duties on that front. So it'll be interesting to see how he does. And if if... Alabama continues to to roll on without much of a problem, I think you may see more teams that are looking for a head coach look at Steve Sarkeesian and say, hey, you know, maybe he is ready for another shot. Now, he almost got one at Colorado. He, uh, he, he basically could have taken the job, and Alabama gave him a raise to stay, but I think there's, there's quite a few other teams, even if it's not this year because the, the coaching carousel may be a little bit constricted because of COVID – but next year that will be in the market and and Steve Sarkeesian will be a name that they think about, especially if he has a really good day on Saturday. Couple other pieces of news. Oklahoma and West Virginia is postponed. The Sooners pause their football activities. Don't know necessarily what that means for the December 5th game against Baylor, but they're going to try to play Oklahoma-West Virginia on December 12th, which was one of those kind of scheduled flex weeks for the Big 12. Also, Cincinnati, your college football playoff selection committee number seven, they were supposed to play Temple. They can't. That that game has been postponed. I think, actually, it has been completely canceled. It's not going to be played. And 
it doesn't look like either team can play on December 5th because they both had a common open date on December 5th. But according to the American Conference, neither team is going to be ready to play on the 5th. So any hopes we had of a BYU-Cincinnati game on December 5th because they both had that date open, not going to happen. Cincinnati will not be uh, not be ready for that one. So put that out of your mind. And just one more, but this is not a game that has been postponed or canceled yet. Mark Stoops, the Kentucky head coach, said at his press conference on Wednesday that they've got a bunch of people missing from COVID, a bunch of players, a bunch of staff. If they lose any more, then they might not be able to play the game at Florida this weekend. So we'll keep an eye on that. But as we are recording this on Wednesday night, as we are dreaming of Turkey, there is still supposed to be a Florida-Kentucky game, so we will see how long that lasts. But, you know, it's it's 2020. Everybody's doing the best they can. We told you it was going to be a weird season, and everybody just going to keep trying to play as many games as they can, and that's what's going on right now. And now here is me and Ari talking about a bunch of games, including one really, really fascinating Black Friday game in Austin. We'll talk lines, we'll talk games, and at the end, we're going to randomly rank Thanksgiving sides because we have to. It's the law. Yeah, I. Uh, if you're, we're all listening to this on Thanksgiving, I want to say I'm thankful for you allowing me to continually be on the show, and I'm also thankful that we're not picking Michigan game this week because that was one less opportunity for me to not be wrong. So, uh, you know, we're good to go. I mean, we can add that one. I mean, it is Penn State, Michigan. If you want to add it and humiliate me another time, that's fine. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. In this case, you you can't really stake out a position that anybody's going to be like, well, that's obviously wrong because nobody knows nobody who's going to win this game. Yeah, so 2020 <laughs> that one of the games we're going to break down is Maryland at Indiana, but Penn State, Michigan isn't on the list. It's just, what a year, man. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's just add it. Okay. Well, why not? Yeah, add it. So let's what is the the current line on Penn State and Michigan as we record this is should be two. Two. Okay. Who's who's favorite? I'm trying to look uh, it up as we Penn speak. Penn State is uh, an underdog on the road getting two points. Okay, so Michigan is favored by two. Yes, which is fantastic. <laughs> fantastic podcast it material. Made this, it could have just made this a pick'em. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny because somebody as I was going through the games, I just I glossed right over that one because I thought I have I don't know that I have any interest in watching this. It's just sad. Yeah. You know, but that's what college football like half of fandom is rooting for your favorite team to win at the highest level, and the other half is watching other teams squirm. And if you're into that sort of thing, and uh, you know, I don't know if this is a thing that all Twitter does, but people who I follow from the Ohio State realm always like type sickos uh, on Twitter, like you're a sicko for wanting to watch this sort of thing. And uh, you know, I think I would, I'm going to watch that game because I'm a sicko. I did it. I did enjoy Michigan Rutgers. I'll admit, yeah, that was that was a fun game. So, yeah. all right, fine. You you've talked me into it. I will watch this game. I will take. The Nittany Lions, not just to cover, but to win their first game of the season. I've faded Michigan the first week of the season against Minnesota, and they won by 100. And every single week since, I've picked Michigan to cover. And every single week in the time since, because I've been waiting to be right again about them, I've lost every single time. Michigan shouldn't be giving points to anybody, anywhere, anytime. 
Penn State, that's my play. And Michigan fans should probably rejoice in the fact that they're hearing this because I am capable, incapable of being right about a Michigan game outcome. All I've been right about is the disappointment that was coming. I can't peg individual game results. Well, we won't look into the the recent history of Penn State at Michigan Stadium because it ain't pretty. So <laughs> we're probably going to be wrong on this one yeah. too. But but it it is it is crazy. I don't know how a sane person could lay points if you're if you've watched Michigan play the last month against anybody. That's- but, but you've watched Penn State play, too. Penn State's shown a pulse. Uh, Michigan looks completely disinterested and dysfunctional. Well, they, they, they had a pulse as they were playing that three-overtime classic. Say it again. In Piscataway. Yeah, say it, say it that again. Three-overtime <laughs> classic in Piscataway. Okay. I gotcha. will say it. All right, let, let's, let's, let's go a little more chronologically now because I think, Ari, the most interesting game of the weekend is Friday. I think it is right out of the chute on Friday. Iowa State at Texas. Texas favored by a point and a half. And it's not a stretch to say that the winner of this game is playing for the Big 12 title. Iowa State, if they win, they've about got a, a spot in the title game locked up. Texas still has to win the games it's supposed to win, but this is the hardest one remaining. Andy, so we spent 40 minutes after the playoff show on Tuesday night talking about playoff contenders, and we didn't really talk about the Big 12 at all. And I just want to ask you out of the gate, do you think the Big 12 is eliminated from playoff contention, even in a world where disaster scenarios are still alive? Yes, I think they're eliminated. I think disaster scenarios could help the Pac-12, could help Cincinnati. I I don't think BYU, unless they... You know, and, and maybe in the, in the time between when we recorded this and, and when it's run, BYU scheduled something else. But unless BYU schedules something else, I think they're out too. So I think the the craziness is really only going to help the Pac-12 or Cincinnati. And I, you know, you seem more confident in the Pac-12 than I do in terms of them one having an undefeated champ, and then the committee respecting that undefeated champ enough to seriously consider them. I don't. I don't know that they're going to, but the Big 12, I think they're done. I, and, and, and part of the problem is Oklahoma has turned into that team you don't want to see. That, you know, Texas A&M in 2012 at the end of the season, like this, this team is playing like the best team in the country. Uh, I'm not going to go that far with Oklahoma, but they're playing really well. Their defense is coming around. Their offense has clearly kind of found itself. But unfortunately, you've got a loss to K-State and a loss to Iowa State, and that still counts. Let me be perfectly clear. I'm more into the idea that a undefeated Pac-12 champion should have a claim to a playoff spot. I'm not confident that that is going to happen. So those are two separate things. And I just right. want to I'm make not, sure. I'm not confident there's going to be an undefeated Pac-12 yeah. champion. No, I'm, not that, that's- I'm not either. I just think that if there is one, then they have a deserving claim to potentially be in the mix. But the reason why I asked you this, Andy, is these are three teams that have two losses right now. Uh, and if you take Iowa State out of the equation because they've just recently lost, um, and, and maybe this is mostly for Oklahoma because they lost their first two Big 12 games and then have been rolling ever since, I'm just wondering if there's any possible way that in a weird COVID year where things go wrong that a two-loss Big 12 champ will be able to play their way back into contention. Because even with Texas, they had um, a pretty rough two-game schedule there, and they lost an overtime thriller against OU, who now um, 
is being viewed as a potential, you know, resurgent team. Like, is beating uh, Baylor, winning on the road at Oklahoma State, beating West Virginia, then potentially beating um, Iowa State, Kansas State, and then, you know, whatever potential Big Ten championship matchup they would have in, in avenging their OU loss put Texas in a scenario where they could potentially have a claim because they would be a two-loss team, but one of those losses would be to a team they just beat again, which I think reverses that loss. Like, could I? Could and we talk one of those ourselves? Losses would be to TCU. I know, but could we? Could we talk ourselves into the idea that if Texas runs the table and avenges one of the two losses that they have, that they could make a case that the TCU game was a blip on the radar? They're a they're a two they're a two loss Big Twelve champ, but the one loss that they do have against Oklahoma has been. Who, who are you knocking out to put them in? Unbeaten Cincinnati. Okay, well. It's an impossible thing to say because we don't know what weird games could get scheduled. But as things stand yeah, I mean, right now, I think that's I, here. Here's the problem. You, I, I don't think so. I think unbeaten Cincinnati gets in over them, especially if unbeaten Cincinnati schedules BYU or somebody like that and beats them. Because I think like I could and, be talked into trying to hype this game up even more and put myself in a position where I think that the first two lost team to ever make the playoff will be a two-loss team where one of those losses was avenged in a, in a conference championship game. So, well, this is the thing. This feels, it's not a loser-leave-town match, but it does feel like a, a turning point of the Tom Herman era match. Which has happened Tom three Herman times already this year, team. but yeah. I, I know, but this, this one feels not more final. And, and look, I, in a pandemic, I, I couldn't predict what's going to happen. But the issue with Texas really since the latter portion of the Mac Brown era is the Longhorns inability to beat the teams they're supposed to beat consistently. You know, they come to play against Oklahoma every year. It's the fact that they, they will drop games against the TCU or uh, like Iowa state's good this year, but as Mr. Stars matter, you will tell us in no universe should Texas ever lose to Iowa state. Yeah, um, this is a very hard game to peg, and I mean, I think the Big 12 in general, and I don't know if this is a style of play thing or uh, more of an evenly matched from a talent standpoint thing, but I don't know, um, really, it's really hard for me to peg these games, because you could paint a scenario where either of them wins. Uh, Texas, it's hard for Vegas. I mean, it's a one and a half point yeah, spread. It's a, the it's, whole team is favored by yeah. one and a half. That means they think they're dead even. Yeah, I I don't think that in these scenarios I would lay points. And it's like hard because every single time Texas lets you down, you always say, I'm never falling into this trap again. And then you fall into it again. I don't know if I'm the only person. And maybe it's because I'm like obsessed with talent composite rankings. But Texas always sucks me back in. And like I'm trying not to get sucked in, and I'm even trying to convince you about Texas's potential ability to, if things go really well. Well, that's the thing. You're pumping. You're pumping these poor Texas fans full full of sunshine right now. If they lose this game by two thirty their time on Friday, they're going to be out there with the pitchforks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, have they already been out there with the pitchforks already? I mean, I feel I like we so. already I mean, got the to fan, that point. The fan base turned a while back, but but the question is, and you've got people counting Chris Del Conte's tweets congratula- congratulating the football team and or not congratulating. It's so weird. And they can clear a lot of it up 
by winning this game and then going on and, and playing for the Big 12 title. That would be very easy. What would make it very messy is lose this game because there's, there's a couple factors at play here. One, there's the stars matter talent thing. And that's, you know, Iowa State does not recruit the way Texas recruits and never will recruit the way Texas recruits. It just can't. But then you have the Matt Campbell factor. What if Michigan were to open this year? That's a job Matt Campbell would take. Would Matt Campbell take Texas? He's already proved he can win in the Big 12. I'm speechless right now. I didn't even consider that. I, I mean, that's Matt the Campbell's thing a that Midwestern makes this guy, so crazy. So it's always like been a second thought of which Big Ten school is he going to take over. It's never really been, uh, is he going to be a... You know, the thing that I, I like about Matt Campbell is that he has been able to reach the ceiling at his program from, from, from what we understand, but also has been able to punch up. And I guess that makes sense at Michigan because at Michigan, you have to punch up to beat your rival. But I don't know if punch up is the necessary prerequisite to be the head coach of Texas. Texas, Texas, has, biggest yes, prob- Texas has to punch up because Oklahoma is better. I know, but what's been Texas's biggest program uh, program problem under Herman? It's not an inability to punch no, it's, up. It's, it's been consistent. consistently not losing to the teams but, you shouldn't I, lose to. I think if you have, if Matt Campbell can can coach Iowa State to play in a Big Twelve championship game, which if they win this game, that's what's happening. Then you got a chance that he's the guy who can win consistently the games you're supposed to win. But I also want to go on record and say, for as much as I think uh, Matt Campbell's a home run hire for Michigan and is somebody that I would trust to build a program because he's brought this team uh, to places that uh, it hasn't really been. It's Iowa State. I know. He's also very susceptible or has been susceptible to losing games he shouldn't there, too. And yeah, that's I, true. I mean, Louisiana Lafayette. Is yeah, the, prime I mean, they sure. open up the season with an inexplicable loss to Louisiana, and you know they've come back and played. Their only other loss is a tough loss on the road at Oklahoma State, and you know they've been taking care of business of the overmatched teams. There's no question about it. But but what happens when you have a prohibitive talent advantage? Because yeah, yeah, no, that's, Ohio, that's the at whole Iowa thing. State, you never do. You never yeah. have that. That's the whole thing. Inexplicable losses when your team isn't very talented are easier to overlook than inexplicable losses when you're very talented. So, like, from a coaching standpoint, when you go into this game, I think a lot of college football in general is which coach do you like more when you're talking about uh, gambling and and picking lines. And, like, I think right now, based on the way things are going, I like Matt Campbell on the sidelines in this game more than I like Tom Herman. And Tom Herman is somebody that I think has done a pretty good job coaching in the Oak, in the in the Red River game. I, I know that Oh, absolutely. You know, he's done a pretty good job in some of these bigger games and has had some fun. But like I don't know how how do we how do we even categorize this game, Andy? Do we categorize it as this is a team or one of those games that Texas should win and loses or is this a team that is a big time game that Texas shows up for and plays well in those big games? Because I I have a harder time viewing You're going to turn me into you? Yeah. Okay. Let me let me pull up the twenty four seven talent composite here, Ari, because that, <laughs> that 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 question answers itself. No, I know, but we I don't know if we we don't put Texas losing to Iowa State in the same category as Texas losing to TCU, do we? No, because we respect Iowa State and we know Iowa State's a so good that's team, what I'm saying. So, so how do we view it? Quarterback. But no. I know the talent composites are are lopsided. You know, I mean, trust me, Texas it's, is the number five team in the country 
according to the 24 7 talent composite. I'm still looking for Iowa State. Oh, wait. Keep I'm going to have to hit load more load if I want to get to Iowa State. So I'm at 50. I'm now hitting load more. Oh, there's the Cyclones at 57. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no. Texas is supposed. I, I will take the Vegas line aside, which the home team favored by a point and a half means Vegas thinks they're up. So Texas should beat Iowa State every time they play. If they don't, it is the fault of whoever's coaching Texas. But are they going into this game like they're playing in like the Oklahoma Light game right now? Is this team, they this program, to. Is, has to view this game as the biggest game of their season remaining? And that's your, why your other games are Kansas and K State. You're going to win those games. God, you're going to you're going to talk. <laughs> there's me not going to be much this. of a choice but to win those games. You're so you're going to talk me into the, me picking Texas again. You're going to do it to me again, aren't you? No. I'm not. I, I am giving you a reason why Texas fans should be furious if they lose. That's what I'm, I'm giving you that reason. You are giving me the logical reason of these are both good teams. There's a reason they're both playing for the Big 12 title game, for a spot in the Big 12 title game. The difference is Texas should take that spot every single time. And if it can't, you have a problem. Texas had a really bad week this week, too. Uh in the last 10 days, uh, Quinn Ewers, the five-star that decommitted, committed to Ohio State, and then another five-star prospect in the 22 class, Caleb Burton, committed to Ohio State again this week. And it's just like, I'm, I'm picking the horns here. Horns up. I uh, Something good's got to happen down there. And, you know, I, I, I might regret this. And every time I put my faith in Texas, I end up regretting it. But this team is equipped and should be equipped to win this football game. They have a chance to come back from the dead and play in the Big 12 championship and salvage what has been a pretty depressing season. This is like the Super Bowl, and uh, I don't know. I If Texas is going to treat this game like it's a big game and it isn't just going to stub its toe against the team it should it should just beat as a, as a walking-through-the-park type game, we're going to prop this up as a, as a big-time Big 12 game. I'm going to pick Texas. Because I, I have so, more faith in Herman to win a big game than I do for him to walk through a schedule without being upset. So here's the, here's the thing. If Texas wins this game, I think it makes everything much more comfortable for Herman because they are going to beat Kansas State. They are going to beat Kansas. They will play for the Big 12 title. They've already played Oklahoma in an overtime game once. So they could beat them. So they could either win the Big 12 or play for the Big 12 title. And either way, that's fine. That's where you want them to be. That's fine. You're not worried about changing coaches or anything like that. There is a path forward there because you come back next year. Now you're, you've got a new quarterback next year, but you have a way to, to build on that. If you lose this game, you lost to a program that simply outcoached you. Remember, this is the game last year where Tom Herman goes, we didn't get outcoached. When they did get outcoached. The only way for Iowa State to ever beat Texas is to be outcoached. It's outcoached Texas. Yeah, there's no other explanation. So that's the problem. It's a sort of, you want to talk about a referendum game. This is the most referendum game I can remember 
since maybe 2016 Auburn LSU. Well, you weren't kidding, too. We're about a third of the way through this podcast, and we're still on this first game, and I think that's a testament. I told you we would talk about this game the most. Yeah, I mean, it is a testament to how big this game is, and it's like making me not want to go to the mall on Friday. (laughs) Well, you don't want to go to the mall anyway. Do it all online, man. I'm going to the mall on Friday. I I hate to break it to you. Don't go to the mall. I'm being. Do you really want bourbon chicken that much? Uh, Actually, yeah. Well, I'm going with my. my girlfriend who is obsessed with Black Friday shopping. So this is me winning boyfriend of the year. Listen, I, I love Black Friday shopping. I remember in my 20s camping out in front of a circuit city all night, breaking up fights at the front of the line to get a $200 laptop. Like, I love Black Friday. I was always the person getting up and getting everybody coffee to get them going to the mall on Black Friday. But maybe it's having kids, something else. I can do it all from my bed, plucking away on my iPad at midnight. Well, I don't know how your Why wife is. Why would I bother leaving the house? My girlfriend does it for the sport of it. So, uh, I don't, it, it, it's again probably because we're parents now, and yeah. the sport of it disappears. Like, but, yes, we used to do it for the sport of it, but no, not not anymore. My girlfriend too won't let me eat mall food court stuff right now. So it's like you think, oh no, no, no. if okay. I go with her, you're not to stand, going yeah, unless not, you can eat that bourbon chicken. Yeah, if you don't let me go to the mall and smash a Wetzel pretzel, then what am I doing there? Like, come on, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. So, but that I'm really excited about about that game and. Uh, you talked me back into Texas. I think um, there was some question about whether or not Herman would be back next year uh, a month ago. That's died down a little bit. I think with a win, that dies down completely. And he's I don't back. think there's any question. If he wins this game, he's fine. If he loses this game, I don't think he's okay. fine at all. Well, here's the thing about this. I could totally see a world where Texas wins this football game and turns around and loses a game they shouldn't in the next two weeks. Because that that is the that's have you the, watched Kansas State lately? I don't know, man. I just I'm just telling you that's the mo here. I'm, I'm just I'm, uh, this is what happened. This is why we're talking about no, this. Not not to this Kansas State team as currently constituted, and sure as hell not to Kansas. Yeah, which may or may not get made up. Yeah. So I was talking about Kansas I, State, but uh, you know I don't know. No, I, I'm working. No, on a, no, 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 no. I'm working on a story about a Kansas State quarterback commit right now, and maybe I got the. The Kansas State fever. Can he play next week? (laughs) If he could, he would. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back talking more lines on this Thanksgiving weekend. There is one other marquee game on Friday, and it's one because we we made an awful lot of assumptions on our playoff ranking reaction show, and we do that all the time where we just assume everybody's going to win out. North Carolina hosting Notre Dame. Notre Dame a five-point favorite on the road. We know North Carolina's offense is explosive, but we also know that they can give up a ton of points. Notre Dame, some injuries along the offensive line, uh, not as, as perfect of a team as they were when they played Clemson, but they should be good enough to beat North Carolina. But... This could be a high-scoring affair that's a little closer than we think. Yeah, I, I think the spread is a little bit lower than I would have like pegged this. And I don't know. I was somebody who had a North Carolina fever coming into the year. And North Carolina has been kind of an unpredictable team to track because they've looked great in some. They've had some thrilling comebacks. And some, that's your, your last trip pre-pandemic, you went and visited Mac, and, yeah. and he recruited you. He recruited me, yeah. But I also just like looked at the at – the, Maybe we're a year away from them being legit, 
but I feel like this is a sneaky tough game for for Notre Dame. And if the if the spread is only five points, I think that's an indication of it. And I I I don't know exactly how this is going to pan out, but I feel like the spread is begging people to lay the points, and then Notre Dame could lose. Like I I think that I might be able to talk myself into North Carolina winning this game on Friday. Well, like I said, we've made so many assumptions that the teams at the top are just going to win out, and that Notre Dame when they play Clemson, is going to be zero losses versus one loss. And either they're both going to make the playoff or Notre Dame's going to eliminate Clemson from the playoff. It may not be that cut and dried. And that's where, if you're Cincinnati or somebody like that, you get real interested. Yeah, well, because here, this is like when I was talking to you about the playoff show uh, or uh, on, on the podcast that went up on Tuesday, I brought up Miami and it's just like, isn't this the path? If Miami wins out and Notre Dame loses, uh, and maybe I'm misthinking about this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but Notre Dame loses to North Carolina. North Carolina is out because they've got two ACC losses, and that puts um, three one-loss yeah, teams in a weird Miami would still have to beat with, North Carolina. That, that would also be the tricky part. Yeah, and maybe they wouldn't be able to do that, but there is a path here starting with a potential Notre Dame loss on Saturday that could get Miami back into the mix for the playoff discussion. So that and that's again that this is why because we make all these assumptions and it usually comes down to the weekend before Thanksgiving and the th- and Thanksgiving weekend where the crazy stuff happens. Now we actually have two more weeks of regular season games after this where more craziness can happen and it's all conference games for the most part unless BYU can can somehow schedule some cool stuff. Some of these there there will be those results where we go, "Huh. Did not see that coming." Is this one of them this for is, you? This is one of those. This is I, I think Notre Dame should win this game. I think what I think Notre Dame can do is control the ball and just keep it out of Sam Howell's hands. And if you can do that, then I, I think you can handle North Carolina because they're they're very much uh, they need rhythm. You know, that Phil Longo offense, if the more they have the ball, the better rhythm they can get into. And you don't want to get roped into a shootout with them. The good thing for Notre Dame is they are so good on both lines of scrimmage. I think they can control the ball and the clock and maybe keep Sam Howell from, from going crazy on him. But listen, if they get if it becomes a shootout, and I do think Notre Dame can score with North Carolina if that happens, it may very well be a last team with the ball situation or the team that fumbles. That's what the, the spread is telling. That's the story the spread's telling. Yeah. I, I just I, I I am fascinated. And and again, it's Friday, non-traditional day, uh, you know, home underdogs. I, you know, I have a thing is always take a home underdog on a Thursday night. Black Friday is not quite a Thursday night where you're, you're the only game in town, but that's the only game anybody's going to be watching in that window. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for that. I might be, I, I think it's, uh, you can make the case, not the case. I think it's a fact that better games for this weekend on Friday. Yeah, yeah. Now there's there's some interesting lines on Saturday, but the games I, I like on Friday. Let let us let us move to Saturday though. We, we'll start in the SEC. There's some massive lines in the SEC. Uh, Kentucky goes to Florida. Florida's a 23 and a half point favorite. Now the last time these two teams met in the swamp, Kentucky broke a 90 million year losing streak to Florida, but the teams are in very different places right now. 
Kentucky's offense is so one-dimensional, so pedestrian, that I think even if its defense plays well, I think you saw that with Alabama last, last week, is Kentucky's defense was hanging in for a quarter and a half, but the offense puts it in such bad spots that it, it can't hold up. Can and Florida's defense will, stop this, this Kentucky offense? Do you have yes. any faith that Florida's defense has a pulse enough to even yes. stop this offense? Because I thought, like, yeah. when I saw the spread, give me, lay the points and let's move on. Uh, after what no, happened I, at Kentucky I, I think, last week, like, with the, against Alabama, I don't know how you, you – I think Trask is out there throwing seven touchdowns a game. If you have any – 48-24 wins this game, and I don't think Kentucky can score 24. I, I think it's – it could be more like 36-12 to 12 wins this game. Do you think that – And covers. But, like – Florida's defense is very concerning. So I just don't know. It depends on It's less it is less concerning over the last f- 3 4 weeks. Yeah. Than it was I mean early. if you if you're confident that Florida can stop Kentucky and like that's the lesser of two evils, then I think the easy play here is Florida. Yeah, I think I think I think this is one Florida can cover. Normally I don't like lines this big in conference play, but I I think I think Florida covers this one. Now here's another one. This this one shocked me a little bit. Auburn at Alabama, the Iron Bowl. Alabama is a 24 and a half point favorite. I get Alabama's good, but Auburn's not awful. No. I, I I don't know the Auburn's scores. Auburn's not this bad. Am I Auburn's for- not bad enough to be that that kind of an underdog. Am I forgetting? Like a blowout that was more than twenty four and a half points in the recent history of this rivalry. Because like the expectation, the expectation for this rivalry game, twenty four and a half points seems like an awful lot. And I know that Auburn has had its pretty bad blips, but also is talented enough, especially offensively, to score some points. And I don't know if this is just going to be another 48 to 10 Alabama roll, but I thought that that line was strikingly large too. Yeah. Auburn was bad against Georgia, but they've been very decent, decent to good. I, they did lose to South Carolina, but since that South Carolina loss, I think they've looked pretty good. I thought they were really good against LSU. Um, it just it confuses me. To see this, I, I, yeah, I'm going back through. There have not. There was an Alabama, Alabama 52, Auburn 21 in 2018. So that would have covered this spread. Uh, but that is the only meeting in the Saban Malzahn era where that spread would have gotten covered. So I just don't. I don't see that. I I see Auburn being able to score a little bit on Alabama. Uh, I don't think that Auburn can stop Alabama every time, but I think Auburn can stop Alabama. It's- more than Kentucky did and more than, than quite a few other teams they've played did. Is Alabama's defense, um, are we viewing them as much improved? Ole Miss was a blip on the radar. Ole Miss also has an offensive genius for a head coach that understands Alabama a little bit better than other yeah, opponents. I, and I, do, just I do think we, it are, off. we are viewing Alabama's defense as improved. I think, I think, interestingly enough, when they're not playing one another, Alabama, Florida, Texas A&M, they all seem, they're all, their defenses all seem to get better when they're not playing each other. Yeah, I wonder why that is. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, and, and we'll find out with Alabama Nick and Florida. Nick Saban but, quoted by Chris Lowe on ESPN saying that in the old days, great defense beat good offense and great offense, and now it's the other way around now. Completely flipped. And if it's completely I flipped agree. now, 
that makes me feel like Auburn can score enough points to cover this game. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Auburn can win this game, but twenty four and a half. Holy cow! Yeah, that is ridiculous. But if That's you're on the wrong side spread. of that game, if you're on the wrong side of that spread, you know it in the first quarter. It's one of those oh, yeah. things where the thing it's a runaway train right out of the gate, and you don't even have a chance. Now, let me let me throw this at you. Does Vegas know something we don't? And we're recording this a little early, so potentially something may have come out in the meantime. Vegas always but, knows something that we don't. They always remember. Do. Okay, remember the stinky Miami Virginia Tech spread. Yeah, I remember, yeah, very well. And that was that was the result of Miami having COVID issues and players out. Yeah, I don't Could know. Auburn has players out. I don't know. I, I don't know if Vegas knows COVID. Does Does Vegas know COVID information? Like I don't. They I don't know personnel information. I mean, they get injury information sometimes. But that's the only thing I can think of that would make sense. Nothing else makes sense for this line to be this big. Yeah, I mean, thirty-eight to ten would be a thorough blowout where the game is could be 24-10 going into the fourth quarter. It's not a blowout, and then Alabama scores two more and you know puts it away. Sometimes these are, I mean, in rivalry games too, when the spreads are, are large, it makes me feel like I want to bet into it instead of trying to take the points and be around it. So, I mean, I don't see it. I, if you would have told me what the spread was going to be, I would say 17 or 17 and a half even. Once you get up to four touchdowns or you know four scores, four plus scores, scores you're yeah. you're in a you're in a pretty interesting category. LSU at Texas A and M. We've not seen Texas A and M play since they crushed South Carolina, and then they missed two weeks because of COVID. The last time they played, Will Muschamp was still South Carolina's coach. Uh, that was if that tells you anything. Uh, this <laughs> is a this is an odd one because. We, we talked on that ranking reaction show what the path would have to be for Texas A&M, and, and obviously they have to win They have to win every game. And that means beating LSU, it means beating Auburn, it means beating Ole Miss. That's not an easy path. And I think we saw the real LSU last week against Arkansas. I, I think we did. I think, you know, because I said it's somewhere in the middle of South Carolina and Auburn and, and in the games they played against South Carolina and Auburn. And that's what that was. That game was right dead in the middle of the games they played against South Carolina and Auburn where uh, they looked okay on offense, but Finley wasn't slicing and dicing like he was against South Carolina. And then defensively, they they were all right. You know what? Against an A&M team that's a little rusty, this is an interesting line. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what LSU is. I, I still don't. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a... Kind of a toss-up, really. I mean, 14 points against a Texas A&M team that's hallmark is losing when their fans could be hurt the most. This would be the biggest Texas A&M on-brand crush. And and to them. Like, it's one thing if they were to lose to Auburn or Ole Miss, but to lose this to LSU where, you know, this – it. it wasn't much of a quote-unquote rivalry because LSU dominated the first, you know, first years that – a&M was in the conference. But then you have that seven overtime game that A&M wins, and there's the fight afterward. And then LSU beats the holy hell out of A&M just to make a point last year. Like, there's a lot going on in this game yeah, from a, a mental standpoint. There's also, too, Andy, the fact that Texas A&M sits here at number five in the college football playoff rankings. The fans are being lulled back into some sort of hope that they can accomplish something. 
and LSU is a dumpster fire for LSU standards. And if this is the worst possible year that you could draw up for LSU, and this is the best possible year, all considering the circumstances that Texas A&M could draw up, and then they lose in that realm, that's like Nebraska tortured fan base territory. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. With LSU and with Auburn, which are both obviously still on A&M's schedule, those are both teams that if they play at their max potential, they can beat anybody. And that's a scary thing. And then you got Ole Miss that just has this incredible offense. So, like, we keep assuming A&M's going to go 9-1. It's going to be really hard. Yeah. If they do it, they've accomplished something. Yeah. And I've, maybe I, I've been a little bit harsh on them uh, when it comes to the playoff discussion because I just it just always has been a problem for me to reward teams for – uh, avoiding a potential loss because they weren't good enough to play in their conference championship game. I, I don't think that that's a that's a plus. I think that's a negative, and it's almost like it's not quite a loss, but to me, it's almost a loss because we're not rewarding teams that aren't good enough to play at the highest level. Um, but if Texas A and M does only go through this SEC schedule, and at the beginning of the year when we were breaking down the SEC, we were talking about how hard it would be but to here's go. The thing: what, if Texas A and M were in the SEC East, they win it. They well, would I mean, play in the conference life. championship game. I mean, yeah, but, but it's not. Life. But we did say. But we sometimes did say, the second best teams in the same division as the best team. You're right, and I'm much more willing to listen to that argument if they didn't get completely destroyed by the team that's going to beat them in their division. Well, it here's the deal: if they get through this nine and one, they have a case. I just think it's going to be really hard for them to get through this nine and one. Yeah, I mean, I also don't know if we really know how good they are. No, but if they if they come out playing the way they were before they had to shut down for COVID, that's a big step forward for them. That's the best they've looked. They, they have not looked that consistently good since that first year in the SEC when Johnny Manziel won the Heisman. And it would be a massive step forward for Jimbo Fisher. It would be a huge you know boon for, for the future where you look at it and you go, okay, they can build this. They can develop this. So that's what you want to see. And they're going to have to run this gauntlet, a three-week deal. And I don't know if they can or not, but, you know, before the year we said is a lot to cover. Before the year we, we said that in this weird COVID year of only SEC teams, that winning the conference or going through the conference with two losses would be impressive. So if Texas A&M does it with one loss, then I think that that means something. I agree with you on that. I don't know yeah. if that means that they're good enough to compete for a national championship. I think those are two separate discussions, but not giving them credit for getting through any SEC schedule, especially considering the fact that they beat Florida, um, would be would not be fair. Yeah, so... I don't know if they can cover two touchdowns against the LSU. Points. I think I think they can win the game, but that's a lot to cover. So, yeah, I, I, I might I might take LSU to sometimes, cover in that one. Sometimes you have to just bet the brand and not the number. And what's yeah. the brand? LSU. <laughs> well, you're right. So and the tendencies of the now, program in spots like this. We now move to the ACC, and there's a there's a team that has been uh, yelling quite a bit this week because. They went down to play a game last week, and then it was decided that the game was not going to be played. So Clemson now back at home against Pittsburgh. Uh, They're a 25-point favorite against a Pittsburgh team that annihilated Virginia Tech last year. And 
Is Pitt legit? I have no idea. They lost NC State. I had to eat mayonnaise. I don't trust them. I'm ever. not doing this. I'm I, not even picking it. <laughs> you, just, you, you won't take Clemson to cover 25 just Pitt's because they're the, just mad and if Trevor Lawrence hasn't played in a while? If Pittsburgh is involved in a football game, I won't pick it. <laughs> I, I got a feeling this could be interesting. I really a, do. A Pitt win? I No. Ha, I, no, I don't think so. But... But you want to bet like, on Pitt again? You want to bet on a Pitt game? No, I, <laughs> okay. I do not. <laughs> but but you're in, you're you're with me here. You see the danger here. You see that this is weird. I see that a lot of weirdness. I see that Pitt is involved, and thus I don't know what's going to happen. That's what I see. <laughs> I I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I just you know I want to see Trevor Lawrence again, and yeah, I, my feeling is he comes out slinging. Uh, they have a point to prove. I don't know if that FSU gets game gets made up. I think if you know if the conference wants them to play, they're going to have to foot the bill for Clemson to go back down there. The the conference are going to have to do that. Uh, I do think you have a potentially thorny situation if you don't make them play the game where Notre Dame might say, "Well, why are we going to Winston Salem for a makeup on December twelfth? Why do we have to do that?" So I think they they probably need to find a way to get that game played, but. You know, Clemson, I think, will try to take something out on, on Pittsburgh. But, you know, Pittsburgh was really sharp last week against Virginia Tech. And, God, it's it's crazy because, you know, what the, the, the Clemson team that won the national title in 2016, what's the only team they lost to? Pitt. They lost to, And they lost to Pitt at Clemson. So, and I realize not the same people at all, but it's just weird with Pitt coming in off such a good game Clemson coming in off a, a layoff basically because they were supposed to play last week and didn't. This is it's going to be weird. Yeah, I, I want to just make the point while we're talking about Clemson that I thought your column about what happened at FSU was excellent. And if you haven't read it, go read it. It's just common sense. I mean, the team that's <laughs> going to lose by fifty still trying to reschedule the game. They're not ducking anybody. Yeah, but yeah, it was just like funny the way you the way you wrote it. I thought it was kind of I thought it was excellent column. Let me compliment well, you, you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Now, I, I'll be curious to see what happens with that because, you know, I think Clemson might might like another home game there, but I don't think Florida State's going to come up to Clemson. So I think they're they're going to have to get that straightened out or have a Notre Dame problem on their hands. And either way, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. We'll be right back later in the show. Ari and I will rank our top five Thanksgiving side dishes. I am already hungry. I, I would like to, to dip in, dip back into the Big Ten. This was the only game we were going to talk about, and then we added on the front end Michigan-Penn State. But I thought Maryland-Indiana was an interesting line because I feel like before Maryland had to, to shut it down, they were playing really well. Yeah, I uh, I don't know who's going to win the game. I don't know who's going to cover, but like the over probably is the play here, right? <laughs> I would the over so. is 63. Um, so... Mm, that's a pretty high over. <laughs> is it 38, 35 is in play? I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, so yeah. I, I, and Penix looks better and better every week. You know, it's interesting. His magic moment of this season is still going to be reaching out for the pylon against Penn state. That's his worst game so far. He yeah. had, he had a few good drives in that game, but he's been consistently good in the other games. Yeah. I'll give Indiana credit. Um, 
I didn't think they had any chance to compete with Ohio State. I thought when the game was 35-7, that was exactly what I thought was going to happen. So the fact that it ended in a seven-point loss and a, them having the ball with seconds left to potentially tie it, um, they are a, a tougher, more talented, more gritty team than I gave them credit for. Um, their receivers and their uh, quarterback are good enough for me to think that they can score on anybody. And I also think uh, Baby Tua over there at Maryland can throw the ball around a little bit. So well, I and and this is a this is a great receiver game. I mean, I I love Indiana's receivers. I love WAP. I love Fry Fogel. But then you go on the other side and you got Raheem Jarrett, the five star freshman at Maryland, and he is showing that stars matter. Really? And so I, who would have thought? I'm with you. Who would have thought? <laughs> I know, crazy. That's well, six hey, one. look, they didn't use Stephon Diggs the way they should have. So let's let's not go crazy. Was he a first round draft pick? Uh, was Diggs a first round? I draft think pick? he was. Yeah, I believe he was. Did he? Did he put up huge numbers at Maryland? No, he did not. I just remember was Stephon he used Diggs. by Maryland in the way he should have been. No, he was not. <laughs> uh, Stephon Diggs was the person who sold Jarrett on going to Maryland. So he, uh, but I remember that was Urban Meyer, the apple of Urban Meyer's eye when he took the Ohio State job was Stephon Diggs, and they couldn't get him. But who would have thought that this freak athlete uh, would be somebody who steps on the scene? And you got a brand name quarterback now with uh, Tagovailoa, and you've got Jarrett. They uh, run the ball pretty hard. I, I've been impressed with Maryland's offense. And in fact, uh, in hindsight, now that we saw what Ohio State's defensive deficiencies were um, against Indiana, I would have loved to retroactively glad gone Maryland back and had to play. <laughs> I would have been, it would have been a fun game to watch. I, I wonder if Maryland could have put up some points on them. So, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Who, I, I think that Indiana proved it uh, is a tough team. But I wonder about the mental toll and the physical toll that it takes to have already gone through. Because even though Penn State and Michigan were down, it probably took a lot mentally out of them to get up for those games, to get to get up and um, beat all well, and, of those Big Tennies teams. That's why I think Maryland could cover this one. I don't know that yeah. Maryland can can go in there and win, but I think this could be a, a pretty pretty tight game. But for the reasons you're saying, I mean, Indiana's gone on a pretty big emotional roller coaster already. Maryland, meanwhile, is chomping at the bit to try to show what they can be against one of the better teams in the league. I think this is going to be a fun game. It is. I agree with you. All right. Let's go to the Pac-12. 2-0 Colorado at 3-0 USC. USC, 12.5-point favorite here, uh, coming off of a game where they looked very good against Utah. I mean, we don't, we don't know exactly what Utah is. It was their first time playing. But USC looked like it had worked out a lot of the kinks from those first two games because the first two games were whew, they were not pretty. Yeah, um, and I don't know if I've completely forgotten about those first two games. Um, and Colorado might be a little bit better than people thought they are. Um, I think 12 well, and I mean, a half is kind of a lot UCLA's of points. UCLA's looks fairly, UCLA's looks fairly good, and Colorado, I felt like, beat them pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I think 12 and a half is kind of a lot of points in this one. Um, it's so easy to just automatically bet USC because they're the brand name team that's 3-0 and and might actually have a chance of doing something. But, you know, Colorado is sneaky good. And UCLA, uh, that was a pretty crazy game in the first week. And they got their ASU game canceled, so you weren't necessarily sure if they could make it to 3-0. and But Colorado with an extra week to prepare unbeaten feeling good about itself usc who we know is susceptible to messing around with overmatched opponents i I think i like colorado in this spot 
Now, there always is that one game, though, Ari, that USC has at the Coliseum against somebody from their division where they just remind you that they're more talented. So this could be that. We could yeah. be completely wrong. This could, this could be 49 to 12. Yeah. And USC just flexes. But nothing they've shown so far suggests that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, if they flex, then you put yourself in a position to talk about the Pac-12 again. And I get excited, but I was all over uh, Utah this weekend, and I thought Utah was the play of the week, and that turned out to be inaccurate. So, um, And it's like I try my best not to flip-flop every single week where I'm picking the opposite of the thing that happened the week before. And that's like so easy to feel confident now all of a sudden about USC and the way that they played against Utah. But I think I'm still going to stick with fading USC as my point of view against semi-good teams. And I think that's fair. Uh, it's They just, they're, they're not consistent and they're very hard to predict. And the, it feels like it's easier to predict for them to underperform, to underwhelm than it is yeah. to, to say this, this will be the game that they show you. Because uh, it's, it's just, I mean, if you spend all your time trying to guess that game, you're going to guess a lot wrong. All right, we have another very important thing we got to get to on this podcast. It is Thanksgiving Day. We are about to gorge. We're going to eat and eat and eat and eat, and then we're going to have leftovers. We have to rank the top five Thanksgiving sides. So I need to know, number five for you. First of all, let me just say how honored I am because this is a pretty important random ranking, and I love the random ranking. It's my favorite thing about this podcast. The fact that I get to do the Thanksgiving one with you is like money to me. So uh, let me start off with something that is going to be either you have to have it on yours or you don't, but to me, I feel like it has to be had um, cranberry sauce. Uh, I, I also went cranberry sauce, but here's the thing. Depending on my mood... I can go for the fancy shishi frou-frou stuff that actually looks like food or the stuff that's shaped like a can and cut in syndrilical form. Yeah. Give me the can. I, I, you know the thing that I love about cranberry sauce? And I don't know if this has been a thing for a long time, but I am a big uh, lover of the Thanksgiving day after sandwich and the subs oh, that awesome. you can get. And awesome. You can't have that sandwich without cranberry sauce on it. So even if it's not the staple or the thing that you get excited about on Thanksgiving Day, uh, it is a thing that is, A, something that's just synonymous with the holiday. I don't think I've ever had it on a non-Thanksgiving day or day after, but I think it's important when putting all the dishes together and it brings Thanksgiving dish together. And So it, I, I have had it on, on another day. And I, Shout out to, to Pom Pom's Tea House and Sandwicheria in Orlando, Florida, because they have the best... Thanksgiving dinner sandwich in America year round. And it's got it's year round. Yeah, it's it's got turkey. It's got mashed potatoes and gravy. It's got cranberry sauce, uh, or it's actually like a cranberry chutney. Uh, it is a really great sandwich, um, and it makes you feel like it's Thanksgiving, whether it is November. How many or times a year do you get that? Because I feel like if I could find a really good Thanksgiving sandwich, um, it's called the Gobbler. Uh, at, at some places, the Wawa in the East Coast is a very good Thanksgiving, but I don't think that's a year-round thing. Um, and I love that. I love it, love it, love it. I might actually, if we did a sub ranking, that might mm -hmm. be my number one sub. That's on a, Earth. A good, and, and and Publix, the the grocery store chain down yeah. here in the South, uh, does a does a Thanksgiving dinner sandwich. I've not had that one. I might I might have to try that one down the road. But the the pom poms one is so good. 
This is one of the better sandwiches you will ever if I have. Ever catch myself down in Gainesville? You got to take me to that place. Well, this no, this is in Orlando. Oh, so even you, Orlando, we'll get in the car. You may find <laughs> yourself in Orlando for something, and and Pom Poms is near downtown, and and it's it's just a, it's a cool little spot, and you can get some some good hot tea to go with your sandwiches, and they they have this like fried peanut butter and jelly thing that's amazing too. But it is it is outstanding. So I, I'm with you. Okay, and so we're on the I may, same. I five. may do some some can shaped cranberry sauce on a sandwich on friday because usually i'm on the road on black friday to go cover games i'm not going to be this this year so wow leftovers for me number four for you okay number four for me is macaroni and cheese and i don't know if it's going to make your list and i think you'll find <laughs> you don't know me very well then <laughs> well i don't know some people don't view macaroni and cheese as a staple oh, yeah. for thanksgiving so if we're having and about people we like to call those people yankees and, and we don't <laughs> respect their food opinions um i love macaroni and cheese and i We'll notice, spoiler alert, everything on my uh, list is going to be carb heavy because <laughs> that's nothing wrong with that. Um, and macaroni and cheese is something that I think is a staple in life, not just on Thanksgiving. So the reason why it's lo- uh, lowly ranked is because I was unsure how people view macaroni and cheese as a Thanksgiving side, but it has to be a part of the plate. See, we consider mac and cheese a vegetable in the South, so it, it is a side dish at address? every meal. Yeah. And and there's a lot of people who feel like mac and cheese just doesn't go with Thanksgiving. It's more of a barbecue side or more of a summer side. But in the South, it is a side at every meal. And okay. Thanksgiving dinner is no different. It is uh, much higher on my list. Let's put it that way. Uh, number four for me, Parker House Rolls. And this is one that I didn't really have until I started having Thanksgiving dinner with my wife's family. These are the ones that are all kind of clustered together and you bake them up, and then you tear them apart, and they're all super soft, and, and you you spread the butter over them and just let it melt down in there. Those things, I feel like I could eat 100, and I know every time I say that, you challenge me to actually do it. I don't really think I could eat 100, <laughs> but every time I eat some, I feel like I could eat 100. That was my natural inclination. Uh, how many do you think you can eat? All right, let's talk about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, who's going to ever say anything negative about that? Uh, um, okay. So my number three, uh, is rolls in general. I didn't get specific, but well, everybody does different things. Some people, you know, I don't think a lot of people are doing fresh baked bread, but if you are, God bless you. Um, you know, the, the Pillsbury Crescent rolls are outstanding. Yeah. I need a ton of those. That is, um, part of my rolls thing, but also, my mom, bless her heart, when we were kids, would make fresh-made challah rolls, and I know that's not oh, necessarily that's not necessarily that's not necessarily a uh, uh, Thanksgiving side, but I like a, a good Thanksgiving uh, dinner that has all types of different rolls. Whether it's crescent rolls, whether you could put cornbread in there, I mm-hmm. just like wanted Absolutely. to make a specific area because some people wouldn't put rolls on there, but it's a must. If you don't have rolls, then get out of here. I mean, it's that's. Uh, Bread in general is crucial, but I will tell you why it's not higher on my list on my next one. Number three for me, sweet potato casserole. Uh, I just mash it up, get that marshmallow topping, turn it more into candy than a vegetable. I'm in there. Yeah, there's no there's no uh, rebuttal to that one. But it's a perfect segue to my number two, which is mashed potatoes. And mashed potatoes are more home style, more Thanksgiving fall comfort food. 
uh, than macaroni and cheese, even though if I were on my deathbed and I had to choose macaroni and cheese or mashed potatoes, I think I would take mac and cheese, but I think it's more consistent with Thanksgiving, which is why it's a higher ranking. But the see, number see, one- that's interesting to me because it has, it has no time constraint for me. And, and mashed potatoes and gravy are my number two. Uh, but that that's a, another side at every meal. That's a required side at every large family gathering meal. You have to have that. Well, you'll call me crazy because I'm not a huge gravy person. I don't dislike it. No, I, I was it, it. I was not a gravy person as a young person, and and I definitely became one as I got older. And you know, you might not think your Thanksgiving sandwich is is complete without gravy, but I like. Dis, the disgusting like boxed mashed potatoes with a bunch of salt on it. Yeah. Um, but the reason, I mean, I like all. Give me, give me the mashed potatoes with the skins in there and the gravy. All on the it. mashed potatoes. Yeah. There's no, there's no potato on earth I don't like. But the reason why rolls aren't higher is because the best thing that a human being can do at the Thanksgiving table is to eat rolls by dipping them and taking them for a swim in the mashed potatoes. And the thing that makes it so delightful is the mashed potatoes. So it's got a leg up on the rolls because eating a roll with mashed potatoes on it is just the best thing in the world. Well, having had some sandwiches with mashed potatoes and gravy as part is essentially a condiment. Yeah. Or, or maybe it's sort of You're a, a God. It's, it's a condiment <laughs> plus like a Primani Brothers fries in your sandwich kind of deal. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. I, I get that completely. What is your number one? Stuffing. And I think it's the only number one. See, this is where my where, where I'm controversial. I don't yeah. even have it in my top five. I know it's embarrassing. And I like it; it's fine. But I'm going for this other stuff first. Uh, I'm go. The first thing I put on my plate of Thanksgiving is stuffing. Now, is okay. So, like in my family, we call it dressing, and it was it was not cooked inside the bird. It was cooked in a bowl, uh, you know, kind of on its own. And then when I got married, my wife's family actually did the stuff like stuffing the bird with the bread and the seasonings and i like that better where when it comes straight out of the bird but it's still not as as satisfying to me as this other stuff we're talking about i mean all stuffing is is bread seasoned delicious bread yeah Yeah. and and turkey fat and stuffing has a very the flavor of stuffing is how I acknowledge what Thanksgiving is. Some people might think it's family or recollecting on or the lions, <laughs> yeah, the, or the, the lions cowboys. or the cowboys, or reflecting on all the things that you're thankful for in that previous year. Thanksgiving is stuffing to me, and I also feel like I love it and I would eat it all the time as a regular side dish for all sorts of meals. But the only time I ever get it is at Thanksgiving because I'm not much of a cook and nobody serves it. It's not a regular side that you can get at a restaurant even. So to me, thinking about what it's like to spend time with family or to be with loved ones on Thanksgiving is also stuffing. So if you go about my list, cranberry sauce loaded with sugar and then everything else is carbohydrates. Uh, that's why, uh, you know, weight is an issue in my life. But um, stuffing to me is the essential piece of the sandwich, uh, the Thanksgiving dinner sandwich. Um, it's the essential flavor of the entire holiday, and I don't think you could have Thanksgiving without it. So, I think if it was that great, they'd make it year-round, and you'd be able to get it everywhere. But it is great. You don't think it's great? It's okay. It's good. It's not great. You know what's great? Mac and cheese. The king of all sides. The king of sides in every meal, but especially on this Thanksgiving day, we bow to you, king of sides, mac and cheese. It is the best side in the world. It is the best 
what we call a vegetable. And like if we're meeting three in the South, mac and cheese is one of your three. And it's not actually a vegetable, but we count it. So I, I will be bringing mac and cheese to Thanksgiving dinner. And, and so I make the, and, and the mac and cheese I make is not actually a Southern recipe. It is from a place called Clarkston Union in, in Clarkston, Michigan. And they have a sister restaurant called Union Woodshop, which is their barbecue place. That's the first place I ever tried it. And I remember eating it and going, this is the best mac and cheese I've ever had in my life. And then immediately is the recipe on the internet. And yes, it is. And so I've been making that for family gatherings ever since. And it is the the pan itself of mac and cheese that I make is probably ten thousand calories. You uh, it is you so bad inspire for you, but it me. is so good. You inspire me to want to be a better cook and to try these types of things because I the reason why I like Thanksgiving so much is that I'm a very terrible cook and I don't attempt to cook that much. So when I get homemade delicacies that I'm incapable of making myself. And ironically enough, boxed mashed potatoes and boxed stuffing is something that should be simple to make. Um, I appreciate them more. But the thing I love about macaroni and cheese, too, is its versatility. I love macaroni and cheese out of a craft box. I love macaroni and cheese uh, in the ready-made microwave macaroni and cheese. And I love the homemade pasta shells, real cheese that you're talking about. You can't miss with it. It is amazing. I agree with you completely. The only reason why it's not higher on my rankings is because the rankings... Uh, above it are more flavor for the Thanksgiving day to me than macaroni well, is. We're going to get together one of these days. I'm going to show you how to how to make this stuff I'll because I learned right how now. to stir some roux making this mac and cheese and now I can stir roux and make gravy and other, and do other things that I needed these skills to <laughs> to pick up and, and so learning how to make this mac and cheese actually made me a better cook in general and I cannot wait. It is the highlight of my Thanksgiving day when I get to dip into that mac and cheese, which well, I, I added baking their recipe because why not? I better What's get a that? picture of that at least. Oh, you will. Yeah, a personal you, you, one too. I don't want a Twitter tweet. I just want a text message. Oh, no, no. I'll send you the real yeah, deal. No no message either. No words. Just send me the picture. You got it. Maybe, maybe I'll send it <laughs> step by step. Every step of the way. I'll, I would lovely, I would lovingly get those texts and follow along. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. It's, it, it has been a fun year. Thank you guys for sticking with us through the pandemic. Uh, we're glad that, that you kept listening, and uh, we were happy to be doing shows and happy to be talking about football, so we really appreciate that. Uh, if, if you tell your friends about the podcast, we'd also appreciate that. Have them subscribe, rate, review, and also subscribe to The Athletic. If you haven't already, now's a really good time, and you might want to wait until Black Friday because you think Target and Best Buy and those places got the Black Friday deals? No, 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 no. We got the Black Friday deal. And unlike Sony, we'll take your money. We will happily take your money. That's <laughs> not, it's not like a PlayStation drop. It's, it's not, there are no athletic subscription drops. You can subscribe anytime you want. And our Black Friday deal starting Friday, dollar a month for your first year. $12 for a year of the best sports writing on the planet. If you want a, a great stocking stuffer or just a great gift for friends or family, give them the gift of the athletic because they will thank you so much because it'll be something they can use every single day. They'll, they'll find a story or two every day where they go, oh man, I am so glad I have this. And it doesn't, it could be college football, NFL, major league baseball, NBA, soccer, Whatever they love, if they're a big sports fan, they will cherish that gift and they will know you were the, the person who gave it to them. So 
theathletic.com slash Andy Staples. Starting Black Friday, $1 a month for your first year. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you after the games on Sunday morning.